Welcome to the Zero Ambitions podcast. Today we are covering the talks and keynotes from BestFest 2022. I'm joined by Chris Stark, CEO of Climate Change Committee, and Stephen Good, the CEO of BEST. And thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. So Chris, uh, today your topic was the role of the built environment in addressing climate change. I think the first question I'd like to to understand is, what are the key takeaways you hope the audience will have had uh, from this and from the wider event today? So, Alex, I had the opportunity to open the event today with a kind of keynote. So, uh, it's a it's a it's a great responsibility to do that. So, you've got to kind of guide the audience from the sort of global stuff to the stuff that's close to home. Uh, but it's not difficult to do that actually uh, when it comes to the built environment, because what I talked about today was the global challenge of climate change itself, which is in turn being driven by the emissions that we cause globally, forty uh, percent of which broadly come in some shape or form from the built environment. So you've got here really the issue. Um, it is often framed as a sort of energy issue, but actually the built environment is having an even bigger challenge. So uh, what I was trying to do today was to, was to kind of step away from the language you often hear about the built environment being a problem yeah. uh, into, into talking about genuinely the opportunity here trying to reframe it a bit so that we get away from talking about how difficult it's going to be into the exciting opportunities that come from tackling all this. And I suppose one thing that I often talk about, I didn't cover today so much, is that when it comes to the built environment, when it comes to the UK, when it comes to Scotland, we've done this stuff before. So we've talked about you know, moving from coal to town gas, from town gas to gas networks. You know, these, these are big transitions that we've made before. This is the biggest one we've made, definitely, but it's also the last one we'll need to make. So we're talking about making buildings more energy efficient, better insulated, so that the people living in them have a better experience, and then bringing them a different form of heat. It doesn't matter that it's decarbonized, it's just a different way to heat those homes. And that's a lasting legacy then for hundreds of years potentially after that. So I don't know of anything that's more exciting than that. And it happens to have a benefit for the climate, which I think we need to talk about in those terms. You know, Some people will be focused on net zero and on climate as the primary driver for this, but most people will not. I think we need to be talking about this as straightforwardly a kind of mission for the country that brings us to a better place at the end of it. So I think framing it in that way, making it more exciting is the main takeaway, I hope. I think the audience here, do you think that they are, in a sense, already converted so they're sort of what you're you're telling them now is sort of show them the path rather than you don't have to convince them as such i think everyone there is they know that something has to be done so really it's about showing them the steps to go there so the pathway to go there is that is that the you're thinking yeah i think it's probably true that most of the audience are let's say converted mm-hmm. to use a religious term but <laughs> i i also think in this sector particularly you have a lot of cynicism about some of the ways in which you can decarbonize buildings, right? I mean, it's right to have that cynicism. Skepticism, perhaps, is a better word. So actually, I think the, the kind of interesting thing is that whether you care about climate or not, this is a journey that we really need to make. Uh, the enormous opportunity comes in the form of jobs, in forms of new investment, in the form of growing in this sec- growth in this sector. Um, you know, whether you care about the climate, I think actually everyone cares about the climate, but whether that's the primary driver or not, it's kind of secondary, really, because actually this is just a massive opportunity now. We need to be talking in those terms about it. And that helps with the cynicism, I think. So, we, you know, the, the, the real message, I suppose, today is that you've got to get going on this. Strategizing about it, making targets is all well and good, but actually the challenge is now a delivery one. We've got to start this process. And I suspect we will learn more about how to do this once we really get going 
at a national scale with with decarbonising buildings, and that for me is is you know really the, the big the big mission now. And we and we see, I mean, we talk about that a lot. I think as you know, that audience today was probably just over four hundred. Uh, people yeah. and and we're acutely aware that we don't want to have events where we're just talking to mm. those that are um, already converted to continue that theme. Um, we want to reach out to new audience members. So I think about half the audience today actually were people who've never been to any of our events before, which is great because you will have people that are are skeptical and you will have people that are you know hungry to understand how they go about doing this. I think uh, you're right, Chris. That transition now from you know. The, the, the big scary you know scale of the challenge and the and turning that which you know we are as an organisation at our heart hugely optimistic we're half glass full so it's about the opportunities it's about how do we do this not about how is it going to be so difficult you know to, to overcome these challenges and and we have the privilege of working with some amazing companies who are already doing um, great things. Um, our challenge, if, if there is one that sits in the middle of that, is how do we scale them up? How do yeah. we scale them up fast? How do we mainstream a lot of these things? But yeah, I think it's, I think it's good to have an audience that's, um, that's you know, got a broad mix of those that are really on the bus already and those that are still perhaps standing at the bus stop. Hopefully not too many standing in front of the bus <laughs> placard, although that takes a different standard. Yeah, really electric bus, too. of course. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I think another question for you, Chris, is um, do you think we're going to run into difficulties if we focus on decarbonisation alone? I, definitely. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's important to have decarbonisation as one of the drivers for all of this. But if, if the answer to this is to only make the arguments on climate grounds, then we're not going to be very successful. I mean, we're in the midst of a, an energy price crisis at the moment, yeah. leading to a cost of living crisis at the moment. Uh, I made this point on the stage. If you can't afford your gas bill this year, it's highly unlikely you're going to go out and shop for a brand new heat pump. So, you know, the climate arguments need to be made, but we've got to make a broader set of arguments too. Now, for me, the central thing here and the sort of golden thread is in the midst of an energy price crisis, why on earth are we not doing more on insulating homes? Uh, building a better, more energy efficient uh, built environment is something that is, is it was a priority prior to the energy price crisis that we're in at the moment. So it's doubly more important now. So that's one aspect of it. You, you can look at other things. I mean, the job the job argument is another thing. We should just be doing this because it's a good way to employ people. It's a good way to to build a modern economy and to have a you know thriving sector in in the built environment, the, the likes of which we see in other countries, but but don't see as thriving a sector here in the UK. So I think that's that's something else. And I think the other thing is that more straightforwardly, um, we should have beautiful cities with people who are happy living in there. Homes. We should have beautiful landscapes where, of course, we're storing carbon and doing all the things that we need to do in the natural environment. We should have clean air in cities. These things are all linked. So, you know, you can care about those things and still want to do the same things that get you to net zero uh, without having to think at all about climate change. So for me, that's the, the exciting thing about it, actually, is you can look at what the economists call the co-benefits of acting mm -hmm. all this. And they are as compelling as the climate arguments. And um, I'm really fine with that. It seems to me that we should find as many ways as possible to describe the future that we want and get going on it. Now, it is very exciting for sure, but it doesn't seem to be happening as easily as we would like. So what would you say are the potential reasons? Why, why is it so difficult? Because I think we do have to address that as well, that there are exciting opportunities everywhere. Um, but it doesn't mean that that's translating into suddenly we're all sort of on the same bandwagon and we're all moving in purpose in the same direction and it is actually happening. So what, what are the blockers? Well, I think there's several, several ways to answer that. I mean, the, the, the top one is that I don't talk about this very often, actually, but I think there is a collective failure of ambition, actually, and a failure to imagine the future. 
um, which, uh, I, frankly, I think we should be a bit more Victorian about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Victorians wouldn't have bothered with this. They would have said, well, it's very important that we do it and we get on with it. And, we, and you know, can we get gummed up by the, the kind of short-term inertia is not something a Victorian outlook would do. You know? So we should be looking at this as a national challenge, thinking about not how difficult it is, but all the ways in which we can make it happen more quickly. So decarbonizing buildings is about making those buildings better. You know, that is the kind of that's the challenge that we should be we should be accepting. So I think that imagination challenge is still at the core of this, actually. The mm-hmm. failure to imagine that we can do it, failure to imagine how good it would be if we did it. And then of course follows from that that the big challenge I'm afraid at the moment is a policy one. You do need to have policy in place to drive an improvement in home insulation rates, an improvement ultimately in the way we heat those buildings and indeed cool those buildings. That's something else we're going to have to talk about. Um, and that, I'm afraid, requires policy. I'm afraid it does require uh, resources and money to go to that. And you need that particularly in a moment when uh, resources are so squeezed in households and indeed in businesses. These are the places that you will eventually require uh, private investment to come from. But at the moment, we need public investment to support all of this. So I, I, I would like to see a more ambitious policy program that at its heart has this optimistic thing that Stephen and I have been talking about uh, of how much better it would be if we were to move quickly towards this. So it's a bit of a putting a vision, uh, a concise and cohesive, yes, cohesive vision. Yeah, I think there's one, I mean, I, I, it's a genuine privilege to do the job that I do because I am required by law to think differently about the world. And uh, a point I make very occasionally when I talk is that people talk about the Climate Change Committee and the forecasts that we make. We don't actually make forecasts. Um, what we do is hindcast. So we stand in the future and look back, uh, which is what's required by the Climate Change Act here in Scotland or across the UK. It says you've got to do something by 2050 at UK level, 2045 in Scotland. That's achieve net zero. What we're doing is standing in a world where we've done that and asking ourselves a question, well, how, how can we make this easier? Looking back, what would we have done to make this an easier path? And when you see the world like that, you can see that actually it's the short-term decisions, the stuff that bringing us back to today that we really should be making that make those paths easier in the future. And I think this is where politics needs to come in. I think we need politicians to think the same way about it. Again, being a bit more Victorian about it, that's what the Victorians did. You know, They, they, they would look to the future that they wanted to, to see happen and they'd get on with making plans for that today. Not getting gummed up by how difficult it's going to be in the next few months, but actually thinking about how much better it would be if they could follow that path. And, and you would think... As you touched on in your talk today, and others have mentioned, the overwhelming opportunities that lie around that for jobs or, or for reshoring, you know, capability back into Scotland and the UK to make the sort of things we need to tackle these problems would be real buttons that would push, you know, um, or politicians' buttons that would get pushed in a really positive way. You would think that would be something that's very easy for you know, civil servants, politicians to um, to tap into, wouldn't you? But um, but yeah, I mean, you touched on there a point about. Um, no, not not looking at this through the lens where it's about um, challenges and more about opportunities. And um, it struck me that the um, we often talk in the built environment around we can't make too many quick decisions because we don't know what the unintended consequences are. But it strikes me in the scale you've just described, the unintended positive consequences on jobs and, and on the materials and on nature and on you know, livable cities and places that we 
as citizens just like to be, are massive. And they feel to me to be really compelling arguments to any government um, to really get on and do this. So yes, um, how do we start that hashtag Victorian infrastructure <laughs> investment programme? Um, yeah, there's lots of things about Victorian that we should not copy, but I do think the ambition <laughs> bit is uh, is something to, to replicate. I heard on a, on a recent podcast that apparently it's the Victorians invented our our, our our vision of sci-fi. So before, if you'd asked her, before the Victorians what the future was, it'd yeah. be roughly the same, you know, still a lot, many more horses. And it was actually them who decided to start inventing the idea of going to the moon. And yeah. that's why we get all the... Well, I, t- I, so I mean, a little thing I occasionally I think about, I was telling my kids about this and they always roll their eyes because they're not interested in anything else, <laughs> as, as most kids aren't. But um, uh, we had, uh, in Glasgow, where I live, uh, huge problems around, you know, the kind of late 1800s with all sorts of nasty diseases cholera epidemics the, the likes of it and um, some of that was blamed initially on Irish immigrants this sort of of course it was nothing to do with Irish immigrants yeah. it was to do with the, it was to do with the water mm-hmm. and once that was identified this is my uh, example I suppose of how the Victorians go about things they decided on a mega project within sort of years to get that fixed you know Glasgow was the sort of home of the industrial, industrial. heartland of yeah, the Victorian absolutely. era really so they brought water from Loch Katrin in a, a gravity-based system that you know fell about, I think I think the, I think it's half an inch every mile uh, from forty miles away to Glasgow, just because they needed fresh water. They didn't blink, and it's still the water system that we have today. That kind of project today in, in the UK and in Scotland would not be done. We would we would be too focused on the short term, not enough focused on the long term benefit from a project like that. That's my worry with net zero. That's my worry with the built environment. Is that we get overly focused on the short term inertia, the short term friction, and we don't see the, the you know the long term opportunity. And I think the other thing to say is our politicians need to be more in that mindset too. They need to think about their legacy. I think politicians are always obsessed with legacy. Victorians thought that way, you know, they thought about the legacy of bringing yeah. that, you know, that water to, to Glasgow, the legacy it's of these big projects. Yeah. That's the kind of legacy that we should be proud of. If we can get this stuff going, it's the politicians today that will be remembered for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, from that perspective, I think also, how do we get people uh, outside of this industry to understand the role that we as an industry have to play and how they need to contribute as well? Do you have any thoughts on that? Because they are they are important. We can't just be yeah. an industry talking together, it's going, yes, we've got some great ideas and we have to do something. There are so many people that we impact, especially people who live in the homes that, that we're affecting. So I th- yeah, I mean, how, I, how, how do you see that? I think one of the challenges is that the built environment is one of those things that really passively impacts everybody. I think we just take it for granted that we all you know, work in buildings or, or live in homes yes. of various different shapes and sizes and... You, you, it's almost second nature. You don't really give it a, 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 an awful lot of consideration um, unless it's the cones on the motorway and it's slowing you down, getting wherever you want to go to, or it's the you know the, the builder that hasn't finished your extension time. So those times, yeah, absolutely, built environment is front and centre, but the rest of the time, I think we are the kind of... It's often described as one of those uh, kind of underpinning or enabling sort of uh, infrastructure kind of pieces of society. And I think that is part of our problem, is that we're kind of too big and we're too everywhere that almost makes us invisible sometimes. I think that... Um, I think certainly what... We've seen over the last um, you know year or so, or so I guess in terms of uh, the, the sort of scale of change on a geopolitical sort of sense um, and the impact that that can have on our heating bills and various things it sharpens everybody's minds I think about you know just actually my building the home that I live in uh, or, or or rent or whatever you know how do we 
um, make sure that that's contributing to, and, and to Chrissy's point earlier, it might not be from a carbon point of view, it's purely from a cost efficiency point of view. What can I do to make this building more efficient? Um, so I think people are, you know, citizens more generally are more aware of their built environment now perhaps than, than they have been um, recently. But, um, but I think we've got a long way to go to get people to really think about the places that they live in, to really come together. And Sarah, you know, who has a, a, a long... Um, track record as being a real activist in that kind of community engagement sort of space. I think getting people to feel much more connected to their communities, much more involved with their neighbours, much more um, considerate, I suppose, of what are the measures we could do, not just in my own house, but actually in my street, in my town. You know, I think there's some things around that that are, it feels like there's a kind of momentum moving around some of that. And I think as that happens, we'll get much more... Um, engagement and, and understanding hopefully knowledge around what things people could do around their built environment that's going to have a positive impact on climate but on all the other yeah. you know, things we've touched on before so I think there's, there's one of perception that we need to kind of keep um, driving forward but just make sure everybody realises just how important the role built environment plays in all of our lives Absolutely Yeah I think one of the most interesting things that reinforcing very much what Stephen says one of the most interesting things I've done in the last few years is take part in various um citizens assemblies which are basically a kind of in the trade we call it deliberative research but it basically means speaking to people yeah. you know <laughs> um, uh, these processes of actually uh, kind of co-designing um, some of the solutions here with people who are actually affected by it which you know amazing that we're still talking about that as a, some sort of radical prescription but that weirdly in policy circles is not something that happens very often uh, the biggest one I took part of was uh, part with a uh, part in was the uh, UK net zero uh, Citizens Assembly, which was actually commissioned by the Westminster Parliament. Uh, there was six select committees came together and realised they wanted to know more about what people thought about the net zero um, transition. And it was absolutely fascinating because you had a, just over 100 people really carefully selected to be representative of the country by age and ethnicity and you know, where they lived and all the rest of it, including some um, deep sceptics about the need to act at all on climate change, which is very representative, of course, of the UK itself. Um, but interesting, you bring those hundred or so people together and you talk about buildings with them. And it's not difficult at all to help them to understand why we need to act on this stuff. Again, even if you're a, a, a cynic and a sceptic about it, it's obvious that there's something needs to be done about buildings yeah. in this country, the homes in this country. And it's interesting when you bring people together to talk about it. Yes, they do care about cost, which is often the major thing that policy people care about. And they care a little bit about technology, which is the other thing that, that policy people care about. But much more interesting to me that when we brought those people together to talk about what needed to happen with buildings, uh, it was broadly three things that they were interested in. Um, the first one was, can there be a minimum of disruption in my home? Yeah. You know, that's a kind of disruptive thing, which again is something we do talk about, but it was really important to them. They could understand the need to change. They didn't want to be a kind of enduring process. If we do this quickly, it would be a, you know, the first thing. The second thing is, are there local jobs in this? Which is fascinating. That's not something that you typically think about. So actually, this is the community thing, yeah. I think. They wanted to know that if this change was going to happen, are people around them going to benefit from it in terms of employment? And then the kind of third thing, which again is something that's often ignored is, can we have some agency in this decision? Can we actually decide what needs to happen with this stuff? Can we have some platform for that? Now, 
community is a difficult word because what, what level are you talking about community exactly. and we didn't really define that with those people but they felt there was a need for communities to come together and be involved in the decision they want this done to them but if you get those conditions right then this change could happen much more quickly is what I take from that yeah. and interestingly you don't need a group of climate activists uh, to, to make that happen it's quite simple actually to lead them to you know the benefit of all this that wasn't difficult at all I think, I think really what, what you're saying here, and it's, it's true for the industry and outside, it's actually really scary in so many aspects. So actually having the, your community around you, feeling that support, even today, 400 people together, <coughs> knowing that you're not on your own, you're not just sort of a lone voice, you've got yeah. so many people. I think that's, that's what comes out is that as actual human beings, we, we love that sense of community. We need to have that support. I think you're right. That's probably the best way forward as well. Yeah, it's community. It's also, but it's also willingness to, to change things. I think we sort of assume people aren't willing to do that. You saw in the pandemic, people were very willing to change things when they understand the reason for that. And I think that's that is something we need to be better at: is explaining why we need to make this change and why there is a benefit to yeah. people beyond the climate benefits. I mean, the benefits to climate are enormous, but. It's not just climate that we're you know, that's leading us. The thing with net zero overall, and this isn't just about the built environment, is that it's a quite a good anchor goal for all sorts of things. Um, and actually, achieving net zero has a host of benefits. In the moment we're into now, we're, of course, we're very worried about energy security. For example, it turns out hitting net zero means that you are more energy secure. That you've you know addressed those issues too. Those those arguments need to be constantly remade. I think net zero is in the end a sort of legal and a scientific goal. It it, it it can achieve all sorts of things if we if we keep ourselves focused on it. And that communication part around it is absolutely critical, isn't it? It's, um, it's you touched on it in your thing. We're in one of the graphs where you sort of said these are lots of stories in terms yeah. of you. And I think that storytelling part of this with individuals, with communities, whether it's at events like this or whether it's um, in your own, you know, your own kind of street and neighbours chatting about this, those stories that help take that complex thing and turn it into something really simple. So whether it is around, you know, if this if we do do this, you know, will my kids have jobs yeah. in this sort of sector? I think that's um, that's the way to win over. I think a lot of the hearts and minds around some of the more complex bits that are you know challenging to understand for a lot of people. Absolutely. Exciting. I could not agree more. Um, also, very very quickly, could you tell us about the path to net zero? What do we need to do next from a practical perspective? Because that's something you touched upon, obviously, and I think it's quite important during your, your talk. So could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think worth just understanding how you achieve net zero in broad terms. And um, the kind of step one in it is to focus on energy. And the reason for that is because if you get your energy supply decarbonized, then you've got a bigger and an easier, uh, sorry, an easier challenge in decarbonizing the whole of the, the rest of society and economy. And actually we've been doing, we're doing relatively well on that in this country in the sense that we, ahead of all other major economies really, we've been decarbonizing the supply of electricity pretty rapidly. Now we would say we could have done more on that, but interestingly we're in a position now where decarbonizing Electricity supply is actually cheaper than continuing to to produce electricity with with um, uh, with carbon, uh, and that's a very happy place to be. It means you can go hell for leather to start you know, growing, especially renewables, to to supply that cheap electricity into the future. So that kind of opens up the next challenge. Not to dismiss that one, but it's that's the one that we kind of understand the best. Yeah. The the rest of the challenges are kind of what you do in in what's sometimes called the real economy. You know, they're kind of what's happening with people and in you know the, the, you know the, how they live their lives today. And this is where you get the kind of the biggest kind of friction, I suppose. Yeah. Now the chart I was showing you um, to the to the audience earlier is the path that we drew um, uh, to net zero for the whole of the UK. And if you can imagine, we're on a podcast, not ideal, but if you can imagine a kind of inverted S shape, uh, the first part of that S is the emissions path. 
and the, the first part of that S is a sort of, a sort of plateau. So it, it's actually, we're not reducing emissions very quickly at all in the first part of that S over the next 10 years or so. Uh, and then it plunges down over the 2030s into the 2040s and then it kind of bottoms out again over the 2040s and gets you to the goal of net zero. Uh, the last part is the hardest part because it's the, mm. the last few sectors to be de- decarbonized. The reason it starts with a plateau is because we haven't been doing enough outside of the energy sector. So that's the friction, that's the inertia, that's us scaling up the action in all the other parts of the economy that we haven't been acting on. Crucial one is built environment. Basically, you look at the built environment, if you looked at emissions from built environment, and I showed that chart too, it looks like a flat line over the last 20, 30 years. So we've got to scale up what we're doing in the built environment to then see the benefit a bit later on. Uh, And that's true in other sectors too. Uh, and if we get that going, the kind of really interesting thing of net zero is it's not really a sequential thing anymore. There was a point when we talked about decarbonizing the power sector and then moving on to, I don't know, the industry sectors mm-hmm. and then moving on to buildings and then doing the next. Really, you've got to do it all at once. Yeah. So for me, that's what's gone back to my story about being Victorian about it. <laughs> doing it all at once is, is really hard, but it's also a tremendously exciting thing to do because it means yeah. that as you decarbonize the built environment, you also decarbonize the transport system, yeah. which means you've got to have an integrated plan for that, which means you've also got to have an integrated plan for doing that whilst you're decarbonizing the energy sector, which means there's got to be jobs and all of that. So really, the kind of story here, it can appear complex, but it really isn't actually. It's about getting most sectors as quickly as possible now to actually zero emissions leaving a couple of remaining sectors where you need something on the other side of the ledger to take emissions out of the atmosphere. Mm. Uh, and for the built environment, very clearly, you've got to fully decarbonize it. So it's kind of no, no messing around. You've really got to focus on getting there uh, by kind of you know, 2040, really. And um, that means the next 15, 20 years is the point where you've got to make the, make the big steps. So I don't know of anything more exciting than that, really. Um, I've got kids. Stephen's got kids. Uh, it is over the course of my kids' life that will do this and of early life it's actually the gap between me and my kids is the period over which yeah. we've got to do this that's for them so it's 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 you know you can't kind of duck it anymore and in those terms i think it's tremendously exciting absolutely absolutely well thank you very much i have one last question because we are talking about best fest and is why is it important to have events like this best fest um so this is our first time of really running BestFest as a month-long programme. So albeit we are here today, um, Mm -hmm. Chris has joined us for BestFest Summit. We have um, already run 16 events, I think, so far this month. We've got a couple more um, to see out October. Uh, And it was really driven by our community. So our our network that we engage with, um, we come together to tackle some of these problems sometimes a very practical sense so I showed Chris the factor earlier and, they, and um, we both sort of stood there and looked, yeah, we could do some interesting things here <laughs> um, and that's amazing and we do great stuff but we also have to bring all of those communities together to go, where are the, th- the areas that we're still not you know, quite unlocked the, the, the kind of size of the prize yet so you know, Best Fest is, is going to be our kind of autumn annual um, celebration of all things kind of zero carbon built environment of which there are countless stories to, to talk about to the, the point about staying positive and, and yeah. talking about the opportunities um, but um, but that community has to grow you know we are a, in Scotland alone we are an industry of 
if you look at the core construction part, about 150, 160,000 people, if you add on all the other bits of people that work in and around and support the built environment, we employ about 320,000 people in Scotland yeah. alone. That's massive. Um, across 45, 50,000 businesses. Um, we're not engaged with all of them and all of them have to be on this journey, as Chris has just touched on. You know, this is a massive opportunity that we kind of need to do all sectors together, but even in the built environment ecosystem, we need to do all of that together. So, Best Fest hopefully becomes a, a, a kind of marker in everybody's calendar to come back together, you know, almost do our own built environment sort of sense check on where we are on our journey towards net zero. Are we doing all we could be doing? What are we not doing? Where are the areas that we've got gaps and we want to refocus? And for us as, you know, Built Environment Smart Transformation, a team of, you know, 35 folk that are hugely passionate about um, driving change within the uh, within the built environment um, ecosystem, we are really keen to use Best Fest as a way of taking those temperature checks, getting good feedback from our audiences. You saw the audience participation today, even at the beginning when Sarah asked everybody to have a quick chat amongst themselves and then couldn't get everybody to stop talking. Um, that's what we need. We, we thrive on really good data, really good feedback around what are we doing right, what could we be doing better and how do we then work with policymakers, the, the, the teams within Scottish Government, UK Government and now internationally um, to make sure that we are you know, sharing knowledge, we're learning from everybody else that's doing great stuff, um, and we're finding the areas that we need to really focus on. So, so yeah, best face a chance for everybody. I think to um, there's some things um, that we touched on uh, later about next year. Best face twenty three. We have a date. It's the first of November. Um, we're going to have our Accelerate to Zero Awards as part of next year's programme. So just build on it and see if we can get that community really swelling and really, you know, run in the right direction around how we drive um, how we drive, you know, system change, I guess, is what we're looking at. Yeah, and I'll be I mean, I'll be brief on this. I mean, I've been at this game for well over a decade now, presenting at conferences and talking about climate and and energy, which is you know, where I kind of started with all this. And I think this was a tremendous conference. It's kind of amazing to have this many people in the room, in the in the hangar. The hangar. You know, it's uh, and uh, I kind of think back to you know what I was when I spoke at events maybe a decade ago. You wouldn't, it just wouldn't have happened like this. So, I, what do I take from that? I mean, definitely we've got an audience that's talking about climate change and understands the issues and is to go back to my religious connotations is fully converted. But it's also a much bigger audience than we had before. So. These things are really important because they're a sense check really on that. They're kind of an annual check on, uh, you know, what is the the, the audience, the, what's the, the crowd for this, and it grows every year, and that's hugely important. Everyone in that in that hangar uh, goes out and speaks to their network and talks about how exciting this is, and that becomes then it becomes normalised. So for me, this is the important thing about it. We need to stop thinking about it as some tremendously impossible mission. Yeah. You came out to that music today, That's Stephen. To mission yeah, um, mission impossible. <laughs> it's not. It is absolutely not an impossible mission. It is a fully normal mission. It's just the thing that we're doing. And uh, the more we have these events, the more reassured I am that that's the path we're on. And your walk on music was Queen, Don't Stop Me Now. So I, think that's now. Probably I, don't really I don't really know what to make of that, really. <laughs> I think it was the Mr. Fahrenheit bit that we were going for, but <laughs> in, some way, in some way. But yeah, it makes sense. That's, that's the message, doesn't it, really? It's just, yeah, if everybody that came today brings one person that didn't come today next year, then we've got 800 people in that. Big hanger. It's big enough to take a bit more than that, but um, <laughs> but yeah, and that that uh, that's the that's the sort of thing we have to be doing. Drive forward that change, that pace. Brilliant. Well, Chris, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, thanks, Alex. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, right. Alex. Good to speak to you. Cheers.